Welcome to AUCD Network Narratives, where we share real stories from our members. I'm your host, J.D. Flores, a self-advocacy discipline coordinator at the Strong Center for Developmental Disabilities and the co-chair for the Council on Leadership and Advocacy. Join us as we hear from inspiring leaders within our network working to make a change. Today's episode is about pathways to leadership and the opportunities and experiences of the emerging leaders community at AUCD. JD is joined by Shayla Collins from the Washington Lend and Maureen Johnson, one of our staff here at AUCD. Shayla is a proud Seattleite, a wife and mother of two exceptionally young boys. Her family has truly benefited from her participation in the AUCD programs, which she shares about in today's episode. Maureen is a program specialist at AUCD and provides technical assistance to university-based interdisciplinary training and research programs like Lent. Specifically, Maureen works on leadership and professional development activities for early career professionals, family advocates, and self-advocates through the Emerging Leaders community. In April 2022, Maureen was selected as an Emerging Leader of Color Fellow at the National Academy of State Health Policy. Listen in to hear more about opportunities in the AUCD network for leadership development and about both Shayla and Maureen's leadership journey and advocacy style. So I'm excited for this episode a little bit just because Shayla, I feel like we have no hate Maureen, but I think Shayla and I have a little bit of the same journey and connection with AUCD. Shayla, can you tell me a little bit about your time at AUCD and some of the stuff that you did really that was like, all right, this is a place I want to be. Thank you. And thank you for having me first and foremost. Absolutely. I came to the disability world because of my children. Prior to that, I worked in the operating room and did not have much experience. Just want to make sure I, I put that out there. And so I came into the LEND program, I want to say 2016, after COVID, I, my time is all tore up. And so I came into the University of Washington LEND program and did a midterm traineeship and then two full-term traineeships. And in those traineeships, I learned more and more about how the network works and the programs and did an emerging um, leaders internship in my second year, I believe, my second full year. And I don't travel much. I'm, I'm born and raised in Seattle. I would love to have traveled more, but I didn't. And then when I had kids, it kind of got put on pause. But I was able to come to the disability policy seminar where I got to meet you, of course, my love. And, and I had never been to D.C., and it just completely blew my mind, the city, the entire experience. And then coming as someone uh, labeled an emerging leader was like, oh, it was overwhelming and, and such a blessing. And it was at that time that I saw the reach that AUCD had. And I don't mean that just nationally, but I'm talking about the depths in which the program is able to touch people and support their advocacy journey that I was like, oh, I can rock with this. I can do this because I was given the opportunity to learn from so many people and particularly our self-advocates who, who go hard, right, on how to do this and be taught about policy simultaneously. I, I just felt very blessed and it has influenced my advocacy for my children and, and how I go about advocacy in the world ever since. See, so for me, it was kind of like that, right? Like I I was degreed, so like that's a luxury when you're disabled, right? Like it's not something that happens often. And I don't want to make generalized statements, but that's just what I've experienced and what I know to be true. 
So someone had just approached me and they're like, oh, you should be a fellow for this. I'm like, all right, I guess. And then that year, my first training year turned into, you know, me being a second year trainee. Then it turned into me being faculty. So then it, and it just like my roots just kept growing uh, within this org, which Maureen then leads to the work that you have done and the work that we have I don't want to say we closely work together, but we're like neighbors, right? Like we work close enough where we're in the same vicinity and we're still pushing towards the same efforts. So Marie, tell me a little bit about your vision for this emerging leader spot, because you've had a lot of people, you know, kind of pushed into, you know, into their leadership roles within our network. Yeah, I'd love to tell you more. Again, thank you so much for having me on too. It's a pleasure to, an honor really to be here with Shayla. And so for me, I think of the Emerging Leaders community as serving as this professional home for trainees in the network, especially those that are not coming from an academic background. So they don't come from like an association of social work or psychology, that AUCD can be their home to come back to, whether they need uh, resources to continue their education, a leadership opportunity, or just even simply networking and finding other trainees such as them and have a similar journey. So I think of the Emerging Leaders community as this hub for all the new and early career professionals and even just continuing professionals in the network. And I can tell you that that's so needed because when I first came around AUCD, I'm like, I'm just got a little bachelor's degree. I don't know what I'm doing here. Like I feel like I was making it up as I was going. And it just, it wasn't always the most comfortable space to be in because I wasn't sure. I wasn't, my my next steps weren't concrete. I just wasn't sure like if I was on the right path, if I was saying the right things. And you just never know really. Uh, and I just feel like advocacy is also super unorthodox. So like you make it up as you go. No one, there's no rule. This is how you do it. Like that's <laughs> that's not true because it works, it looks different for everyone. So can you both tell me about your advocacy styles? Sure. I guess my advocacy style, it's very dynamic to say the least. I'm very much a go and move. I'm moved by whatever moves me. I find that I am inspired by others and their stories and the events that happen. So a little background for me is that my connection to the disability community is more through my parents. So my parents have been direct support professionals my whole life. They're immigrants from Sierra Leone, and they've worked in kind of group settings. They've worked in a hospital settings. So I've always had this level of service and and care growing up and, and understanding and respect for people with disabilities. And so my kind of first advocacy idea when I think about it is is seeing the treatment of others and just knowing that I always want to treat people how I want to be treated and given that self-determination and, and respect. And so when I see that's not being given, that's where I want to come in arms. I get that. Whole, and do no, I get that wholeheartedly. Yeah. My mom, you know, migrated here from Puerto Rico and did speak the language. And, you know, she came to this, to the States and had all these extra worries that she didn't have before, right? They just didn't exist. They weren't a reality to her. And now all of a sudden, I like to say that English is my oppressor's favorite uh, weapon of choice. Uh, because if you don't want people to know what's happening, you just put it in English. And even those who speak English as a native tongue sometimes are lost in the sauce. I get that. I like to say that I was an advocate before I even knew what advocacy was, that there was even a word. Because, you know, with my mom and having to jump in and, and watching interpreters not do what they're supposed to do. It just was, you know, it was harsh times. You just start making big decisions like, nope, 
I'm going to be the voice for my whole family. <laughs> and then my mom, you know, when you speak another language, we're not immigrants, but in the true sense, I guess you could say, because we're Puerto Rican and we're still American citizens. But when you speak another language, that language belongs to everybody in their mama. Because my mom, sure enough, at the grocery store, in the parking lot, at the school, wherever we at, oh no, you speak English, you can help them. And it's like, ma, but I don't, I don't know all the things. Yes, you can, you, you could do it. And they just kind of, I don't know, Maureen, if you share the same experience, but they just kind of push you in like, this is what you do. <laughs> Yes. You telling me that story reminds me of how I actually stood up for my parents to get better pay um, at their agency that they work for. They were, you know, not necessarily complaining, always complaining in a way about how they're just, if they don't work, they don't get paid. They don't really get vacation hours and time. So I was like, okay, why don't you write a letter? And they're like, I don't really know what I would say in the letter. I was like, okay, how about sit down and like, just tell me the experience. Like, what is the value of the work that you do. And I can write it out in this letter. And so um, I actually specifically worked with my mom on that. And so they were able to give her a raise. I mean, I think it was maybe a dollar and 50 cents more around, but it was still a dollar and 50 cents. Yeah, a dollar and 50 cents. A dollar and 50 cents. You know, pre-COVID, that was at least some noodles. Yeah. You know, direct support professionals a lot, especially male are paid hourly and, and not necessarily given as many benefits. And, and even the hourly rate is, is, is around minimum yeah, and wage. And the work is harsh. If it yeah. is, it's even more. And the work is very harsh and very physically tasking, especially for my mother who does have arthritis. So it's just kind of what's done. You, you do the work to get it done and, and keep for it moving. Sure. Isn't that the... For sure. Alrighty, I'll jump in. First and foremost, what a fabulous question, advocacy style. And listening to both of you speak about your experience as people of color, particularly in this country, we've seen advocacy our entire lives, right? And it has looked different depending on the setting. When I think about the word advocacy, I'm always um, making sure that I say, depending on who you are, what you look like, your educational background, the neighborhood you come from, and your socioeconomic status, advocacy can be seen as adversarial, right? How dare you come in here saying this is what you deserve or this is what you need, and you need to stay in your place, essentially. I got most of my advocacy practice, of course, after having two children with disabilities, because there are always barriers and blockades that you're coming up against that as a mom and mama bear, we're not having that, right? Thinking about how I go about it, it's usually very direct. Over time, I've had to take some classes for enrichment that I felt were important in order to get my message across. For instance, I've taken nonviolent communication courses because I know that there's ways that I can say things the exact same way but using a different, uh, using different words to get my message across as opposed to cursing and things like that. And so um, when I think about, again, when I think about my style, it's very direct, it's very to the point. And what I hope it is, what I hope it does is not just serve me and mine, but take care of everybody in that situation. And hopefully it be something that we're discussing and addressing that doesn't have to be rediscussed and readdressed. Because one thing that i feel like particularly as a person of color and a person of color within disabilities is that the opposition continues to try to wear you down 
have you repeating and doing things over and over and over again when we already know what the answer is and we're tired of talking about it. And these actions will lead to us not having to repeat this and do this again. So I, I hope what I do is not just for me and mine, but helps all those in our community. For sure, because we are each other's business, right? Right on. <laughs> and that is, I would say, as I aged and I recognized how people interpret who I am. And, and I talk a lot with my hands and I cuss a lot. Katie tell you uh, some other folks in the, in the network will tell you that that is my first thought is always don't cuss don't cuss don't cuss like I really try really really hard to not use my 10 cent words uh because um you know it takes away sometimes like how you're perceived but then I also made like a conscious decision not to code switch so then I was like all right well now you just gotta like, decide what kind of current you're swimming against but I think that you're so right and and just like as people of color as women of color us three you know there's very little wiggle room to to make mistakes right and so we have to be conscious of of how we move and how we talk and that's something it took me a long time to learn and I'm not gonna pretend like I got it together every day because I don't but learning what stories to tell and how to tell them when to tell them and how they fit um is super important to me and I guess that that's what I'm picking up from what you're saying Shayla like that's where you had to learn and you had to pick some of that up so and choose your battles yes some of them don't need to be addressed you know, some of them you don't even need to use your energy on because there'll be another one. For sure. I mean, it's never ending. And I think that that's really where I want to go next with both of you is, is to talk about your experience as women of color in this predominantly white network as you both, you know, Maureen, you, the emerging leader stuff is up and coming, right? Like it wasn't all the way established when you came into the fold. You So you, you kind of taken right. it and, and have grown it and have, you know, fostered it and cultivated it. Can you tell me some of, of your experience? And then Shayla, for you, I don't want to ask y'all both at the same time, but just to throw it out there to keep you thinking about it. Can you tell me about your experience and what was your, you know, what is it that you hoped you left behind in the emerging leader space? So Maureen, if you could go first. For me, building this community, and I have to say, I've not done it for myself. I've had such great help, either staff and fabulous trainees that I've worked with as interns or trainee liaisons or council trainee representatives. It's really just making sure that I do what I say I want to have the impact. So if it's to have those represented that felt like they're not usually represented, I like to see that in who we pick as leadership opportunities, who we put on the emerging leaders map, how are we promoting the events? You know, are we using plain language? Are we using culturally appropriate language? And so I've seen in just kind of navigating the emerging leaders community space is battling the academic elitism and, and how that plays a role, especially in the recruitment of trainees who are coming into this graduate level program and, and those that are either family or self-advocate trainees getting into this space and making sure that they feel like they're on the same level as everyone else and giving them the support they need to understand that their lived experience is powerful and just as good, even better than a degree. And that's what I love about AUCD. I know, JD, you were saying earlier, you're coming here with your bachelor's and you feel kind of how that plays a role in your status with everyone. But that's the best thing about AUCD in this community is that your lived experience makes you an expert in this. And that's what I try to keep reiterating and giving and 
I don't like to say that I empower other people. Nah, nah. Humble brag. You do that because you do that for me. And we have neighborly (laughs) work together. So you do that for me. So I I appreciate the humble brag. We'll take that. We'll, We'll claim that. My goal is for trainees to see that they have the skill already and they know how to create the change they want to see. It's just giving them the skills to unveil it. The enrichment, like Shayla was saying earlier. Excellent. That I hope to leave behind when I was an emerging leader. I hope in, in my presentation, people are able to see my passion and that I'm keeping it 100% real. Like, I, I don't know how to be any other way than this Shayla that you see. Like you said, JD, I talk with my hands, I holler, I laugh, you know what I mean? And and I always infuse humor into what I do because we've been through so much pain. And I believe that's often what helps us keep going is, is, is being able to laugh at yourself is what I'm saying. Not, you know, and make mistakes and know, all right, I did that. We'll see what happens next, right? And so I hope people got to see that authenticity that I try to present. And hopefully that allows them to be more comfortable being themselves in this environment, particularly because I also know that there's so many ways that we think we're supposed to be in certain places. And I'm all for decorum. But at the same time, in order to walk the walk and and do what you need to do, you need to feel comfortable within who you are. And that takes time and that takes practice. But I feel like with my experience within the AUCD, being an emerging leader, that was actually value. People didn't give me no problems. So I I hope that that was the foundation I was able to lay for those who come behind me because we need to be able to value um, multiple engagement styles, right? My Mm -hmm. colleague, um, shout out to Miss Nell, who I love to death. Her style was different than mine, but it was is it equally effective and valid in the messages that we were trying to share, which was honoring, like you said, Miss Maureen, is that this is already in you. This passion, this love, this care, this want to go hard, this want to support people, this this showing your love through service, right? That's already in you. The AUCD for me helped give me some skills and some tools to be able to use so that I could get that message out more clearly and to be able to feel confident sharing that. And with a room full of three, 400 people, this was pre-COVID, so this is when we was in real life and we could see real humans, you know. And I hope that if I touched anyone in any way, it's just that they're able to be comfortable with who they are, doing the work that they're doing and knowing that they are doing a marvelous job. Well, thank you both so much. You know, selfishly, I'll just say I feel seen today. So I appreciate both your time and energies and the work that you've done within our network and the work that you continue to do, even just in general, because, you know, the network, it, this is all bigger than the network, right? This is just, you know, we're working to, to change lives and to change opportunities, to create opportunities, excuse me. So thank you so much uh, for being here with me today. But that's all we wrote in terms of our episode. And you both are amazing. And I hope to continue to be able to work with both of you as we go forward. Thank you. Same to you, darling. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to AUCD Network Narratives. If this story has inspired you to make a change at your center or program, use the link in our show notes for resources and tools to help you lead on. We'd love to connect with you. So visit the AUCD website and click on the submit your story button at the top. We hope to hear from you soon.